electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking the glorious New York Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee tonight. Tonight's trader lineup, you're seeing them right there. It's Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, and Nadine Terman for the big show. Tonight on Fast, a sea of red on Wall Street to wrap up what's been a very volatile week. But the traders have some places where you can seek shelter from that storm. You won't want to miss their ultimate safety plays that's coming up. Plus, a Bitcoin breakdown. The crypto dropping today alongside the rest of the overall market. So is the coin losing its appeal as a store of value? Our Bitcoin baller breaks down that trade. And then later on, slamming on the brakes, the stock that could see 10% immediate. Yes, immediate downside. We'll tell you what it is, that mystery chart there, and how you should play it. But we start with another monster sell-off on Wall Street with big technology posting the biggest losses on the day. As you can see there, the NASDAQ. Down nearly 2% right now and is now 7% below its record high. The biggest companies in the world, as we shift around to that monitor, losing a combined $185 billion in market value today alone. So where are the markets going from here as you see companies like Alphabet and Apple and Amazon losing anywhere from $12 to $32 billion Tesla's lost $70 billion. Let's get some answers from the chart master. We're talking Worth Chartings, Carter Worth, Carter Braxton Worth, CBW. Take it away. What are you seeing in those lines up there on those charts? My man, that's right. It's about drawing the lines, and it's uh, one of many ways to try to figure out the answer. I think it's the best way, better than the fundamentals. Let's look at a few charts. So I've got two for the S&P, two for the QQQ, and two for the Russell. The first chart is simply the chart of the Standard & Poor's 500. No one could characterize it any other way than a steady orderly uptrend. It's up and to the right, north by northeast. And there is the trend line. And we are flirting with the prospects of breaking that trend line. We're down 5.3% from the peak. That's nothing. Uh, The second of the two S&P charts, where at a minimum might we be headed? It's esoteric in the world of technical analysis, but there's a notion of an unfilled gap. And while not all gaps are filled, when you have a succession of gaps in a euphoric period, they are often filled. And so we filled one this week. There are three remaining immediately below. The the lowest most gap is down there at 43.72. And so that would be another three to 4% from here. I would think that's a minimum. Let's look at the QQQ. Next chart. So this is Uh, quite fascinating. Uh, We know also an uptrend. And look, it's a well-defined series of higher highs, but each high stopped right on that internal trend line. You can see where the arrows are drawn. Now, if you look at the second QQQ chart and simply put in a parallel line, where might this be headed? I think we go back the lower band of the channel in which the QQQ has been ascending. And so uh, from here, that's uh, down seven, eight percent. And then look at the Russell. And this is the one that is clearly not an uptrend. We know the S&P is ascending. We know the NASDAQ 100, the Qs have been ascending. But the Russell, basically after its very dynamic beginning of the year, was dead flat. And then particularly insidious, it broke out 
but it was a failed breakout. And you can see that there. So the money that went into it becomes an accelerant on the way out as it backpedals. It takes a lot of capital to cause a breakout. And that money is reversing and other money. And so the final chart, uh, the real risk for the Russell 2000 is that we were to break uh, the lower band of this well-defined channel that we tried to break out from and failed. Um, at the end of the day, is there anything wrong with a sell-off? No. Who could be unhappy with the Standard Poor's having dropped 5%? That is a normal thing. The question is, is it likely finished? I would say no. All right. Carter, that, that's so it's a little sobering to think about some of those charts. I mean, at the same time, if you're an accentuate the positive person, I guess you could say it's a buying opportunity. And if not, you can say there's more downside ahead. But let's go ahead and trade it because that's what we do here. Let's go about and say, all right, Tim, we'll start with you. If you look at those charts, I mean, another seven to eight percent possible downside to that last gap that Carter talked about in the Nasdaq. All right, maybe there's lower prices ahead. But for some of these, like the Russell and for the S&P 500, are there people willing to go out there and start legging into these positions, knowing that this has been a buy-the-dip market for as long as any of us can really remember? Great question. More importantly, great to have you here on a Friday, Dom. And, and I think Carter, in his very stoic, um, sober, almost Clint Eastwood-like approach to speaking softly but carrying a big stick. I, I, you can't argue with where the charts are. You can't argue that industrials, transports, uh, even banks are either at the precipice of the 200-day for the first time since March of 2005 to the downside. In other words, when was the last time that you saw J.P. Morgan pass through the 200-day to the downside? And it was, in fact, March 4th. 2020 as we went into COVID. Um, the technology sector on a week when the 10-year went from 155 to 134, but in the seven sessions that, le that ended today has gone from 169 to 134, almost 20%, should tell you there's concern about growth, there's concern possibly about the Fed stepping in too heavily in the market. Typically, this might be good for mega cap tech, but if you think about what mega cap tech has done going into this period of volatility, and again, extreme volatility. We're up, you know, roughly uh, trough to peak on the VIX through today before it came back in the last hour, almost 80 percent. Um, mega cap tech uh, in the triple Qs have underperformed the S&P by almost two and a half percent in the last three sessions. That's the point everyone's focused on, which is that the market leadership, which we have all said on this show, has been so narrow uh, today and even the last couple days is starting to show some weakness. So the, the aggregate pullback, not a big deal, um, especially when you consider that we have had uh, a couple other pullbacks of this side, especially in the Nasdaq. We did about eight and a half percent September to October. But I think people are concerned that this is a different environment. And again, the yield curve, we talked about it all week. Uh, I think you have to focus on that. All right. So so what's interesting, Steve, I, I mean, we talk about the leadership that Tim just brought up here, this notion right now that there has been that mega cap technology communication services type trade that's really been outperforming the broader market and the small caps for, for months now at this point. If you look at that leadership, is there anything that scared you about today? I, I thought it was interesting because I didn't realize that the Nasdaq 100 and the QQQs never really broke below their 50-day until today, whereas all the other indexes had. Is this basically the catch-up trade for the downside, or is this something maybe more rotational in nature, do you think? So, so Dom, I, I think it is a little bit of rotational in nature. If you look back to where we thought we were, what was going to happen in October, 
everyone thought, or the seasonality, I should say, was that the market should sell off. And then the market didn't. The market rallied aggressively. And, and growth really took the bull by the horns, if you will. We've been waiting for the small calf or, or the cyclicals to really outperform here. I, I'm along some of the chemical names, some of the packaging names. And this is the best shot of a higher rate environment that I think we're going to have, although the 10-year isn't telling that story just yet. So I, I'm nervous going into year-end for the entire market because I, I think if you turn October on its head and we all thought it was going to sell off at rally, then what do we all think is going to happen or thought was going to happen was the Santa Claus rally. So now if we see the market sell off into year-end or thereabouts, we could set up for a real January rally. With that January rally, I think what you're going to see is the, are the cyclicals really run. But if I told you, Dom, that the XLF or the financial ETF was outperforming the XLK, the technology ETF, you'd probably scratch your head a little bit there, but that is the case, or they're flat, basically, on their relative performance. One's up 28%, one's up 27%. I think you're going to see the cyclicals really try to run here in the next month or so, and that's the way I'm staggered or I'm positioned. All right, so BK, if, if, if that is the case, if we are talking about a notion where the market is, is maybe searching for some kind of a narrative, some kind of a story, because it hasn't been this notion that, mm -hmm. that higher yields are crushing the tech or growth trade, it's been the, the opposite, but is there more downside to come here? Do, do, do you worry? that the interest rate picture is telling us something that that maybe isn't being factored into the equity picture right now. I mean, the interest rate, I mean, the yield curve has been flat for a while now, right? So maybe it's just the equity market catching up. But when you look at something like a Carter, Carter Braxton Worth, also known as Cardi B, was talking about, you're only talking about a 1% to 3% down to these support levels. So at some point here, you've priced in a fair amount of bad news out there. So let's just take the, the uh, Omnicrom uh, variant there. I th actually think it's probably good news if you get a less severe disease and herd immunity that is transmitting faster. Ultimately, the market's going to look through that and say, okay, let's get these reopening trades again. That will then maybe get the yield curve to be steeper. And you also have to remember, it's a really good point that Steve Grasso brought up, is that everybody thought there was going to be this Santa Claus rally and that the yield curve was steepening. And everybody was positioned that way. So once you get a little bit of a scare in the market, everybody unwinds things, it's the end of the year. So from, from my position, I think, you know, I would much rather be looking for a bottom here than panicking and getting out of my, uh, my positions. All right. So, so the interesting part about this right now, and we want to bring this up because, you know, Scott Minard over at Guggenheim, we, we, we remember he was just phoning in the other night to kind of tell us a little bit about what he thought here. He did tweet out, all right, that with the 30-year Treasury bond, the long one, at 1.75%, expected to return to 1.4%. As for the 10-year note yield, if it goes below 1.4, it's likely to head to 1.2. He made those comments and echoed them on that phone call just yesterday, I believe, on this show. Nadine, I turn to you. Is this a scenario? Steve Grasso had alluded to this notion that maybe this is a time that you could see a higher rate regime, but it certainly has been playing out. Is this very much just about positioning and people maybe unwinding certain things, 
or do you feel as though there is a downdraft for rates that's going to last more than just, say, a day or two? Well, I think that they're right in that, you know, Goldman came out with their data saying that hedge funds had the lowest level of leverage of all year, right, this past week. So they took down their leverage. That's obviously going to put pressure on the markets in addition to some of their positions being down. A lot of the Kathy Wood positions are down. People are shorting ARC. People are shorting the individual positions. So that just puts a lot of pressure. So I'm on board what Steve and BK are saying is, you know, we like to do things a little contrarian. So this morning, you know, energy was up. You know, a week ago it was getting tanked. That's when we bought back in. You know, today, you know, it's had a rally and it's back up, so you trim. And then midday, you know, tech is down. Um, Seems like a good time to re-enter some positions that aren't maybe all the household names um, that got sold off with everything else. So, you know, we try to play it a little contrarian, but your point is right about rates. And a little bit spoiler alert for our safety trade for later, um, but what we're really seeing here is, you know, you had weak job growth the, this morning, and people think, okay, that slows the fixing of the supply chain. Okay, there's going to be sticky inflation pressure. Okay, maybe that's going to be hawkish for policy. So we didn't see that in the rates today. Um, but, you know, that, and that's separate from Powell speeding up the wind down of bond purchases, which obviously takes that liquidity out of the system. But hedge funds tend to get under pressure when they're off guard. They bring down their leverage. They have to sell off their positions. And I think that's a little bit what we saw today in some of the crowded positions. So if you're going to be thinking about intermediate term trades, then you want to fade that if you think you're going to make some money on those. All right. So Nadine opened the door and I'm going to step through it because I want to get to those so safety trades because it's part of the program. It's one of the questions I have. Is it time to run for cover? Let's grab a pencil and paper. I'm trying to find my pen right now because you're going to want to write these down, these trades. Tim, let's kick us off here with the safety trade. Is it warranted and what are you doing? Walmart. Walmart's definitely warranted. Look, I I think it's warranted even in an aggressive environment because this is an e-commerce tailwind and some secular trends that I think are very good for Walmart. Um, I think their their investments in distribution, logistics and ERP are, are under-recognized relative to, to Amazon. But look, this is a company that's underperformed the targets of the world, the Costco's of the world, but by a lot. Um, I already think it's priced in some of the headwinds from this rebound in, in Omicron or whatever we're, we're seeing in terms of slowness in the economy. It's also a defensive stock when you get this kind of an environment. We saw it in the early stages of, of COVID that actually Walmart actually outperformed. The most important dynamic, I think, for, for owning the stock is the multiple. It now trades roughly you know less than 20 times. What's really been under the most pressure? It's been high multiple stocks, and we can even argue that some of those mega cap tech stocks have big multiples. Finally, uh, with inflation and food inflation, the nation's largest grocer should do very well in this environment. I think people are underappreciating the comps. I think they're going higher. Now you're buying it at the low, too, as you can see in the chart there, multi-month lows for Walmart shares right now. Steve, what about you? So th- this one was definitely a contrarian bet. Apple came out and said that they were going to have issue with uh, supply demand issues. And the stock ran from the 130s Dom in, in October, early October, to just about 170 and then backed off a little bit on, on recent headlines. The stock is up though year to date uh, and, and it's up more than a lot of its peers. It's definitely a catch up trade in Apple, but when people think about what they wanna buy, they wanna buy things they know, things they understand and things they feel safe with and Apple checks all of those boxes, and it also checks that box for me. All right, and it was actually a flight to safety trade up until some of those headlines and reports about possibly slowing growth for iPhone demand this season. Nadine, what about you? 
All right, so that spoiler alert, we're, so today bonds are overbought, so you don't do this trade today, but the idea is be patient and go the long, long duration bonds when the nominal 10 year treasury yield hits 1.6 or above, or you could look at the 30 year if it's 2.1% above. So that's when you can get back into long bonds. All right, the long bond side of things, and BK, you don't like to play by the rules, I know this from experience. <laughs> so yes. what exactly is your play this time around? Well, yes, as you mentioned, I identify as a contrarian dominator. So uh, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to be looking for safety trades after you've had this sell-off, right? So to me, I want to look, where's the carnage? Let's look at XLK. Let's look at that big cap tech. The best thing for me would be Monday morning, we gap lower, reverse, uh, you know, maybe around 10, 30, 11. I'd be buying XLK all the way. All right, the contrarian play, technology and that growth side of things. And by the way, Jim Cramer's got some strategies for the kinds of stocks you should look at in volatile markets like these. Read about it in his newsletter. You can sign up, by the way, by just pointing your phone at that QR code on your screen. You can also check it out on CNBC.com slash investing club. Coming up on the show, Bitcoin breaking down in a big way after days of holding steady amid this market volatility. We will break down the full Bitcoin trade coming up next. And later on, China stocks crumble as Didi plans to delist. Is this a sign of bigger cracks in the market overall, especially for Chinese Internet stocks? All that and more when Fast Money returns. We are back in just a couple minutes. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin is breaking down today. The cryptocurrency, as you can see, they're selling off to round out a very wild week on Wall Street. It wasn't just Bitcoin. The broader crypto landscape also sinking overall today. So how exactly do you trade the space with all of those alt and smaller type coins moving to the downside much even more than Bitcoin has? Who better to kick off that conversation than the Bitcoin baller himself? You know it. It's BK. What do you make of the action? Is this an environment where you would be stepping in to buy the dip on some of these Bitcoin related type trades? Yeah, I actually think it is, Dom. So let's you got to separate a Bitcoin from the rest of the market because it's a really interesting time in the cryptocurrency world. What you're seeing is Bitcoin is trading as a macro asset. So funds that were using it as an inflation hedge when Omicron came along and and oil fell off, people said, you know what, I don't need that inflation hedge anymore. So that is very separate. But when you look at the rest of the market, what we're seeing is dispersion. I mean, look at today. We see Terra Luna up. We see Cosmos Atoms up almost 20 percent. Uh, we've seen things like Matic up. So p these uh, cryptocurrencies are trading on their own merits. 
and on their own kind of project valuations or project um, view. So there's, there's a big dispersion here, but then going back to Bitcoin, sure, we had a 7% sell-off or so, which actually is not that much for Bitcoin, but think about the environment. If we get a kind of a reopening trade and everything's fine on, on Monday morning over the next week, people will likely put those, hedge, those inflation hedge trades back on. But let's say the growth gets weaker. Well, then what's the Federal Reserve going to do? They're going to turn on their money printer. It's going to go burr, and then Bitcoin's going to go up. So to me, I think the sell-off is a buying opportunity. All right, so Tim Seymour, I wonder, though, whether Bitcoin, just the price action or, or, or the asset itself, provides any kind of a tea leaf or any kind of a signal with regard to what's going to happen elsewhere in the market or even within cryptocurrency itself. Is there a signal to be had from, from what's been happening? Well, it has. And, and BK just referred to some of the flows and some of the ways Bitcoin's being traded. And I actually think it's amazing how low vol it's been relative to its own history over these last couple pullbacks. But if you look at the pullback that was September to October and, and then this one, you can see that Bitcoin actually started selling off a couple days before, um, not signaling that, you know, that Bitcoin is the is the dog and the market the market is the tail, but M signaling that, yes, I mean, if you think about some of the faster flows, they clearly are in the crypto market. In some sense, uh, the Charts tell you that Bitcoin started selling before the market in both of these more, more recent drawdowns. All right, so possibly a leading indicator for what else is to come. All right, guys, thank you very much. Coming up next on the show, final trades. Check out what's going to happen here because we've got some interesting ones coming up. All right, welcome back. DD is dropping 22% today on news that it's going to delist here in the U.S. and plan to list in Hong Kong. Steve, what's your take here? So you know what, what I do think is ironic, Dom, is that you thought this was going to come from the SEC, not from, the, not from China themselves, to pull these companies to delist. De so you're going to catch it from both ends. You're going to have a lot of congressmen up on the Hill demanding accountability standards and holding foreign companies accountable. So you're going to get negative headwinds from every which way on Chinese-related stocks. All right. I mean, uh, uh, and some of those ETFs attract them at multi, multi-month, if not year and multi-year lows at this point right now. All right. So let's go to the final trades. We're going to go around the horn. Let's start with you, Nadine. What say you? What's the most compelling thing for you right now? Novo Nordisk. The ticker is NVO. We love it because it's a solid net cash balance sheet, strong management team. It's a leading diabetes pharma. It's growing into cardiac metabolic adjacencies, but they also have a recently approved drug for weight loss with really extreme results. So we think that's, an, uh, I guess, a little hidden gem in there. All right, Steve, what do you got there? Trinseo, TSE, you got to make up for some losses. I think this one's going to fly, TSE. All right, Tim Seymour. Well, Adam, you know, we talk defense. How about offense on Walmart? Again, I think there's a hybrid multiple at some point you apply to their e-commerce business. You don't have to go anywhere near Amazon to take this from, you know, a 20 multiple to a 23, 24, which gives you a lot more credit for that e-commerce business like it. All right. And Beeks, you. Yeah. So for me, you know, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and say Bitcoin. Watch that weekend trading. If you get a rally without the headwind of the risk markets, that would be really positive. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys very much. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.